In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so turn with me to John 15, John 15, um, chapter 15, John 15, verses 1 through 11. So verses 1 through 11, if you need a Bible too, there are also some to my right, or to your right and my left. Um, I'll be reading from the ESV version, John 15, verse 1 through 11. All right, let's go. I am the vine, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my word abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you or done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So, um, out of curiosity, I know Tim already asked this question too, but um, for those in this room and even online, like how many of you have made New Year's resolutions for 2022? Just give me a raise of hand. Anyone? Oh, a couple of you. Oh, actually, more than one. Um, so, a, a lot of us. That's kind of a traditional thing that many of us do because kind of a start of a new year is a way where we can begin um, to make some changes, right? We make uh, changes to eat healthier and work out, like the most common one or maybe even be better at our work, our careers, or read more books, or increase time with family. And even in the church, we make spiritual resolutions. We say, we're going to read through the entire Bible in this year, or we're going to pray more, or share our faith with our neighbor or co-worker. But how many of you have successfully completed a New Year's resolution for the entire year? If you look at studies, um, the, mo most people actually fail their New Year's resolution within the two to three month period. And only, I, some studies vary, but about like 20% actually make it through for the entire year. That's how gyms make their money. Gym memberships, that's how they make their money, all right? But why do we fail? Why do we fail in these New Year's resolutions? We fail because most of us are motivated for that entire time. We fail because it's a lot of pressure and we just kind of give in. We fail because we forget or we're just really busy. We fail because though the goals and the changes are good, just setting goals aren't enough. And I think for us in the church, when we take our faith, for example, many of us try to get better by just making these New Year's resolutions. We set up these goals and tasks to, to do more of this or do less of that. But after a few weeks, those resolutions kind of fail. And we need to start over, or we just kind of give up and just turn on Netflix, either one. 
Yet when we look at God's word, and this has kind of been on my heart for the past, at least for the past week, and we look at John 15, it's interesting that Jesus doesn't give us a laundry list of things that we need to do and expects us to get 100% or A plus on it. Instead, in order to change, he first invites us into a relationship. And he starts with three life-altering words. Abide in me. Abide in me. This word abide, it can be translated as remain with me, dwell with me, or stay close to me. It carries this relational, this emotional, this even physical closeness. And out of the 112 times this word is used in the New Testament, the Apostle John, the writer of the Gospel of John, writes it 66 times in his entire gospel, but he writes it 11 times just in these 11 verses. So for John, abiding in Jesus was essential for being a follower of Jesus. And out of that abiding relationship, Jesus then says we begin to change. He transforms us. He makes us more like him. True change does not begin with the list of resolutions, but it begins first with abiding in Jesus. And this is my prayer for us as a church as we enter into this new year. And to kind of do that, to kind of share what it looks like to abide, I have just three um, characteristics of what it looks like to abide. You can probably think about like 12 or 15 just from this passage, but I'm just going to share three. And the first one is abiding requires dependency on the vine. Abiding requires dependency on the vine. In verse 1, Jesus compares himself to the true vine. And then in verse 2, as we read it, we see that we are compared to the branches who are attached to the vine. And the purpose for each, each branch is to bear fruit. And in one of the simplest pictures of all of Scripture, Jesus reminds that we need him as much as a branch needs its vine. Just picture a plant or a tree with me, maybe in your backyard or you don't have that for Chicago, maybe your front lawn or maybe in some park that you walk around. Just picture a plant or a tree. Picture how dependent every single branch is to the vine or the trunk of that tree. The only way it gets its nutrients to keep it alive is through the vine. And even more, the vine keeps the branch connected to the whole part of the tree or the plant. It allows the branch to be rooted in the soil so that when elements come like snow or wind, it can stay attached as a whole. Because as Jesus says in verse 4 and 5, that apart from staying attached to the vine, we the branches can do nothing. We won't bear fruit. We won't even survive. But as Jesus says, we'll be only good for what broken branches or twigs are usually good for which is starting a fire. Now, what's this fruit that Jesus is talking about here? This fruit is simply Christ-likeness. It's becoming more like Christ. It can also be summed up when we see in Galatians 5, it can be what we call the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So as we depend on Jesus, who is the source of love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, and we go on. We begin to draw those nutrients, those characteristics 
from him. The more and more we cling to him, those life-giving, life-changing blessings are then given to us so that we could be like him. We start to become more loving and kinder to others. We start to have more peace and faith in our hearts amidst difficult times. We start to become more patient and excellent in our work and relationships. We start to have more self-control when the sins of lust or anger or pride begin to try to take over. Becoming like Christ should be the ultimate New Year's resolution for each one of us. But as we see in verse 2, as much as Christ gives us the nutrients, depending on Christ also allows for the Father to prune us. Now, what's pruning? If, if you've ever gardened before, you know exactly what this is. Pruning is simply cutting portions of the branch so that the weaker ends can grow stronger, cleaner, and bear more fruit. You know, I did some research, and uh, pruning, I didn't realize, was is extremely vital to growing fruit. Now, just take grape, for example, grape vines. You know, farmers will actually prune every single sprout that comes from a vine in the first year of the vine's existence. It will prune every single one. So every single sprout it sees, it will get rid of it. Because for the branches to bear fruit and to actually be strong enough to hold the grapes that it grows, it has to get stronger. And so the pruning is required because if you don't, either the branches will break because the fruit is too strong or the fruit will be bitter or sour and no one likes sour grapes. Without pruning, bearing fruit is impossible. And in the same way, when we depend on Jesus, we are also allowing the Father to prune us before we can ever bear good fruit. Hebrews 12, 10 through 11, Aaron reminds us that our earthly fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at, at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It's not a popular verse here, but it's a necessary verse. Because depending on Jesus isn't simply just getting the nutrients from him and the good things from him, but it's also being pruned and refined so that we can become more like Christ in all we do. You might have experienced this this past year. You might be experiencing this right now, where God is taking away a certain crutch or a certain job or a certain relationship or a lifestyle, maybe even a good thing, so that you no longer rely on that one thing, but rely on Jesus. And in those thirsty moments, in those difficult moments, your roots grow deeper, your branches get stronger, your dependency on Christ becomes greater and greater, which leads to Christ-likeness. Pruning will always lead to greater dependence. So the first one, abiding requires dependency on the vine. Let me continue. The second one, abiding requires slowing down, slowing down. Now, um, oftentimes, we, we miss this interpretation in our modern day because I doubt any of us grow our own food. No one, none of us grow our own food. And what's one key ingredient that's important for growing food is time. It takes a lot of time. As I mentioned before, growing grapes in a vineyard, it, it actually takes longer than we think. 
It takes about two to three years for grapes to grow on a vine. And interestingly, most fruit takes a long time to grow. Fig trees take about one to two years to bear fruit. Apple trees actually take about two to four years to grow fruit. Pineapples about two to three years. And strength, like, amazingly, cherry trees take about four to seven years to bear fruit. And I think we miss this part of the passage because most of us don't grow our own food. If we look at our passage, it takes a long time for us to bear fruit. Now, uh, over the holidays, I read this book, uh, which I strongly recommend to all of you to read. Uh, it's this book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, written by John Mark Homer. And I really incurred, was really kind of struck by this book because in one of the chapters, he talks about the history of speed. So how society has just picked up its pace rapidly over the years. Let me just throw out some things that are really kind of struck me as I read this. Historically, in the 1800s, do you know how long the average person slept? 11 hours. 11 hours a day. Because they would follow the sun and the moon when it gets dark. The average worker in America today works nearly four more weeks per year than they did in 1979, which is, you know, a little more than four years ago. In 2007, the iPhone, Facebook, Twitter, and the cloud came into our society, which today has led to 2.5 hours on our phones a day, about 705 hours of social media a year, and close to 2,500 hours of TV and entertainment a year. As a result, our attention span in just over 10-ish years has gone from 12 seconds to 8 seconds. And if you need context, a goldfish's attention span is nine seconds. No. And so, uh, yeah, I, read, I read that and I was like, uh, I was very humbled because that's probably me too as well. Uh, and just one more quote. Uh, he quotes this writer, Nicholas Carr, from a book called The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. And this is what this, uh, Nicholas Carr writes. He says, what the internet seems to be doing is chipping away my capacity for concentration and, co and contemplation. Whether I'm online or not, my mind now redirects to take in information the way the internet distributes it in a swiftly moving stream of particles. Once I was a scuba diver in the sea of words, now I zip along the surface like a guy in a jet ski. Now, I don't know about you, but I definitely feel more like a person on a jet ski than someone diving and just kind of waiting and moving in life. Oftentimes, I feel so hurried, so distracted, and a lot of it's my own fault, I, I admit it. And well, the one last quote that I'll share from him is that he says that hurry is a form of violence on our souls. Hurry is a form of violence on our souls. So in other, other words, from our text, it is impossible to abide in Jesus when we are hurrying. It's impossible. Because also this verb abide in the original language, even our language, it comes from the noun abode, which in translation, it means home. And when we think of our homes, we can't think of something that's a hurrying space or a space of busyness or distraction. It can be, but it shouldn't be. It's supposed to be a place of rest, a place to enjoy, a place to feel safe, a place of peace where you can take baths and light candles and eat and have good company over. 
Even if we zoom out of our passage here, John chapter 13 is in the context of Jesus's final discourse, which in John chapter 13, actually at 13, not 15, 13, he washes the disciples' feet. And then from these next four or five chapters, Jesus is having this long conversation with his disciples over this dinner table. It's this long time. So when he says, abide in me, we picture the disciples sitting, listening, spending the entire night with Jesus. They are checking ESPN or capturing an Insta story here. They're not watching TV or listening to music, but they're just sitting for a long time. Because if we try to hurry our relationship with Jesus, we will be too distracted to slow down, to hear God and notice what he's doing in us or around us. Mary Oliver, an American poet, once said that attention is the beginning of devotion. Attention is the beginning of devotion. And with society telling us to go, 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 Jesus, when he says, abide in me, is telling us to slow down, sit with me, stop, give me your attention. That's how you abide. Now we move on. Number three, abiding requires obeying his commandments abiding requires obeying his commandments now jesus says in verse 9 you are chapter 15 verse 9 he says abide in my love and in verse 10 he shares how we are to abide in his love he says if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as i have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love and notice the ordering of this. It's not that he says, just obey me. But what he says first is abide in my love. You know, take the person that you love the most in your life. It could be a spouse, child, um, a friend, family member. What would you do for the person you love the most? You would get out of bed at 2 a.m. to buy them Gatorade or medicine when they're sick? Probably yes. You would probably watch hours of Mickey Mouse if they wanted to because you love them? Probably yes. You would travel across the country to be with them when they receive bad news or when they're sick? Probably. Basically anything we would do for those that we love dearly. But you don't do those things because you want to earn their love. You do those things because of how much you love them. It's a response of your love for them. And abiding, it can't be a passive relationship. Abiding can't be where we're just only receiving the good things from God. Abiding also requires us to be active in our response of love towards him. We listen. We should be listening to what he wants or what he needs and how we can love him better. So out of our love for Christ, our response is following his commandments. It's what he desires. Abiding in Jesus is also apprenticing under him. It's following him. It's copying the way he lives. Because his ways, as we see throughout scripture, is the fruit that he wants to see in our lives. And now I'm not saying that we are to follow his commandments perfectly. What I am saying is that when we love, when we say we love Jesus, and if we aren't able to obey his commandments, or we don't just don't want to, then simply put, we probably don't love him. It's 
Gets in that, if you think about marriages or about parenting or about friendship, it's the same way. If we don't actually respond in loving that person that we love, then are we actually in a loving relationship? Probably not. Abiding requires for us to follow and to obey Jesus because we love him. Now, I kind of went through these three really quickly. They, they can go a lot more deep. But the reason why I just want to kind of go over those three areas of abiding, which was abiding requires us to depend on Jesus. Abiding requires us to slow down with Jesus. Abiding requires us to obey Jesus's commandments. And so I mentioned those three. And I'm saying, Noah, that's great. Amen. I believe that that's what the text says. And I believe that that's what we should do it. But then, Noah, why is abiding so hard? Why is it so difficult for us as people? Great question. I think it's a great question. The answer, I think, to that question, um, one of the root issues is, yes, sin is in our hearts, but I believe it's this lie that we can do everything on our own. It's this lie that we think that um, we are self-sufficient. We are capable. We can pull ourselves up with the bootstraps and we can just take on life on our own. If we go back to the beginning of scripture on Genesis 1, 2, and 3, what we see is, is Adam and Eve, our greatest grandfather and grandmother, live in perfect harmony with God. If they had a perfect body relationship, that was them. No sin existed. God gave them everything. He gave them food, purpose, and his very presence. But he had one rule, to not eat from the tree of, of, of knowledge of good and evil. But one day, there was a lie implanted in them by Satan that if they took the fruit, it would not only taste good, but because in that fruit, they could possibly be like God. In other words, they wouldn't need God. And with that one bite, they were kicked out of that abiding relationship with God where they had to fend for themselves. And as a result, everything changed. Work produced thistles and thorns. Bearing children became burdensome. Relationships turned sour. Murder and death soon came. And they were no longer benefiting from this abiding relationship with God, their maker. And this I can do it on my own attitude came into the world. And it continues to go on. And I even see it in my kids. Already in my youngest kid, Josiah, who is 20 months, 20 months old, 21, 21 months old, his favorite words to me are no. No, no. <laughs> that's like, that's for every, that's his favorite word. And he says it, the first time he says it is when we are going, getting out the door. We have our kids go to daycare and we're taking them down. So about 11 flights, 11 kind of stairs to get down and get to the car. And every single time without fault, he holds on to the rail and I put my hand out like a good father and say, hey, come down. Like, let me make sure you don't fall on your face. And he, every time, no, no, no. And he wants to get down himself. It takes him much longer. He's fallen once or twice, but he, without fault, wants to do it on his own. And I think for many of us in our lives, we try to do the same thing with God. We take on our life's hardships on our own. We try to figure them out on our own. We take our careers, our dreams on our own. We even take the desire to be a better person or a better Christian on our own. And we're swatting the hand of God and saying, no, I can do it on my own. 
Instead of depending on God, we desire to control our lives, so we seek independence. Instead of slowing down with Jesus, we desire to accomplish, attain, and accumulate, and measure our success alongside the world, so we hurry, we go faster, we try to do more and more. Instead of obeying Jesus' commandments, we desire personal freedom, so we push our own agendas and do what I think is right. Yet how successful can that really be? Has that gone well for your work or your relationships or even your faith if you try to do it on your own? Probably not well, especially over the past two years. I can't imagine uh, an I can do it mentality would go in this world. I think honestly our society is still trying to say we can do it on our own and it's really not working. That's why Jesus says in verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. For some of us, this is disheartening. I, I, I understand because it means that you have to be weak and needy. And no one likes being needy. But do you know what's amazing about the gospel message? Is that weak, broken, and needy people is who the gospel is for that left to ourselves we can't save ourselves from brokenness and sin in us by ourselves we'll fail at every one of life's goals no new year's resolution will be successful we'll fail at our jobs we'll fail at spouses or parents we'll fail in resting and being healthy and especially in following jesus but the only reason that we that the only reason that Jesus can say, abide in me, is because he is the only one who can say, I have done it all. And I have done it perfectly for each one of you. I came down from heaven's heights because the world was broken, violent, and chaotic. I lived a life that was perfect and sinless, while none of you have ever done that. I taught, I healed, I cast out evil among you, showing you a way that led to true life. And finally, Jesus says, I took the cross and died a death that each one of you deserve. And I rose from the dead in three days, defeating sin, death, and the devil, so that you would not live without God, without me, but so that you could have the fullness of life with me in eternity. Your desires. All of our desires are only fulfilled in Jesus and the work that he has done for you. You know, Dallas Willard, a, a well-known pastor and theologian, said that our desire is infinite, partly because we were made by God, made for God, made to need God, and made to run on God. We can only be satisfied by the one who is infinite, internal, and able to supply all our needs. We are only at home in God. And that's why in the last verse of chapter, or last verse of our passage, verse 11, it says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. When we abide in God, we also abide in his death and his resurrection, so that in his Death and resurrection, those things, our sin, our brokenness, they don't own us. Our desire for success, for power, for wealth, for family, materialism, or whatever it is, is not over us. Instead, our desire and our need is abiding 
in Jesus. And that is where joy belongs. And so um, I'm sure the next question that comes up for all of us, and honestly, the question I have multiple times is how? How do we abide in Him? I mentioned some, we depend, we slow down, we obey His commandments, yes. But the I think the best picture, if we are the branches and Jesus is the vine, what we need just better, what we need to do better is we need to have a better trellis. Now, I don't know if you guys know what a trellis is, but a trellis is basically kind of that wooden, like, fence-looking frame structure that supports the vine to grow. And the reality is that when you have a trellis, that, that a plant needs a trellis, is that if a plant doesn't have a trellis that needs one, it just kind of grows all over the place. And what happens is that it's difficult for that plant to grow food or to bear fruit. Uh, the, the vines grow on the ground and the food kind of the fruit grows there and rodents can kind of eat it up, or basically it gets too crowded or too messy where the fruit can, can't actually grow well. And the vine actually is restricted without a trellis. And I think for us, what the church fathers would call is that we need a trellis in our lives, our framework, and they call it a rule of life. Now, a rule of life, some call it spiritual discipline, some call it rhythms of grace and work, um, but a rule of life is simply this, and I'm quoting from John Mark Homer here, it's a structure or a schedule and a set of practices to set up abiding as a central per pursuit of your life. It's a way to organize all your life around the practice of the presence of God, to work and rest and play and eat and drink and hang out with your friends and run errands and catch up on the news, all out of a deep, loving enjoyment of the Father's company. And these practices kind of come in two areas, right? There are things that we do to fill up with God, and there are things that we do to let go of the things of the world. So filling up could be daily rhythms of quiet times, memorizing scripture, praying, being in a church community, having a 24-hour Sabbath rest, playing meals with friends and, and, and community. Now, things of letting go can be fasting things, food or social media. It could be limiting our screen time. It could be rejecting shopping or materialism or just doing less work and slowing down. Now, there is a ton that we can do. And there are, um, the reason I have these, these three books in front of me is because there are many resources to show you how to implement a rule of life in your life. Um, again, this book I would highly recommend, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Um, an old school kind of OG book is uh, called The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Um, and he goes through some disciplines and he goes really deep into these and why we should be practicing them in our lives. And the more kind of simple, practical one is the more recent book called The Common Rule, Habits of Purpose in for an Age of Distraction. Um, and one of them actually I'm going to share here is that uh, one that I've been doing for the past maybe a year or so, not perfectly again, I guess, my wife Sophia, um, is this practice where I have put into my life where it's no phone or technology until I do my devotions in the morning. Now, that might sound easy for some of you, but for, for, for me, our kids wake up really early, and so I have to actually wake up way before them. And, you know, my temptation is really, I don't know about you all, but it's to, like, grab my phone, check my email, check who won the game last night, um, you know, kind of check the weather. And my mind begins to get filled up with all these things to do, and my mind kind of gets on a go-go, hurry-hurry mentality. But when I put it aside, put it on do-not-disturb mode, 
and just, you know, get up, make coffee, eat breakfast, spend about 20, 30 minutes with God, it changes like my entire day. It makes me more patient. It makes me uh, actually look forward to my kids getting up. It helps me in my work. It just allows me to be more grounded and really listen to God first versus listening to all the things that the world wants to bombard ourselves with. And, you know, there's plenty more. I think one of the Another, I think there's about like tons of them, but one of the other ones that I think a lot of Christians now are realizing that we have lost our rhythm in is this practice of 24 hour Sabbath. Now, this is something that I that I have not implemented in my life, but something that I feel is very much lost in our day culture because we're so busy and so distracted and so overworked is literally taking 24 hours, no tech, no work. No, even like cooking, like just things that we know chores and just resting and enjoying for 24 hours. It is really, really hard. Um, but again, things that allow us to slow down, to depend on Christ, to obey, you know, a Sabbath keeping, that's one of his commandments, uh, and to actually abide in Christ. Now, um, there's so much I can go into. I'm, I'm a very practical person too, and I would like, love to like talk hours more about how we can implement a rule of life. But for me, and the reason why I chose John 15, and, and you'll see this as you go throughout the year, is that abiding in Christ sounds so simple, yet so hard for us to do as Christ followers. And that is actually my prayer, is that if we get nothing else done this whole entire year, is that if we abided in Christ, that's the only thing we did as a church for this year, that's a win, in my opinion. And so, church, that is my prayer for you, um, and that is my hope. Uh, and I hope that as we continue on in this time, we're, we're going to share a lot about mission and vision for the next couple of weeks. And so I wanted to kind of ground ourselves in what it looks like to abide in Christ. And then we'll see kind of the mission and vision as we uh, share on those things uh, the next following weeks. And so um, join with me in prayer. And I'm going to invite the worship team up to kind of lead us in a, a few more songs. Uh, Father, we are, um, God, uh, yeah, God, we, honestly, I think we, we really, are not good at abiding in you. God, we are so um, distracted, so busy, so um, consumed by things that we think are really important, God, but in actuality, um, we've missed uh, our first love. And so, Father, I just ask that as we enter this new year, uh, 2022, um, full of uncertainties, full of even just un un unsure if we'll even be back here next week, God, we don't, we don't know, God. But you know, but I pray that in this season, in this year, God, that you would make us a church that abides more in you, that's rooted more in your love, that slows down, that depends on you more than we did last year, and that seeks to obey your word and your commandments in our lives, God, because we are so, so lost without you. Abide, help us to abide, Lord, because we know that we can't do it without you. And so, Father, continue to be with us continue to strengthen us and as we go and kind of really start this new year tomorrow god may you um god may you just be nearer to us each and every one of our lives we thank you in jesus name we pray